0: Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, practical Buddhism for the modern world. Each week, I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hi, and welcome to episode 36 of the Toward Light podcast. I'll be honest, this week, I was a little bit uncertain about what to talk about. There is some internal pressure of it being the new year and trying to make it this super good, important episode. And there's the fact that in this moment where I'm traveling and sort of overwhelmed with a lot of daily life tasks that I can feel a little bit far away from the Dharma. So sometimes I don't know exactly what to share or what to talk about. I'm seeing a lot of the ways that I'm not being mindful and not a lot of the ways that I am connected to the Dharma. So what I decided to do is to pick a topic that helps the dharma feel accessible and relatable to me, even in these difficult moments, and a teaching that brings me some comfort. And I'm hoping that as I share it, it will resonate with you in some way. Today, I'm going to talk about the 10 fetters. These are 10 things that hold us back from the possibility of freedom, from the possibility of awakening. And these are the 10 things that are released over time as one reaches enlightenment. Now, I don't often talk about enlightenment because it's not something I have direct experience with. So I feel ill-equipped to talk about it. But in order to talk about the fetters and why they bring me such comfort, I do need to share some of what is said in the Canon about awakening. There are four stages to awakening, the stream-enterer, once-returner, non-returner, and arahant. In the teachings, it's said that the stream-enterer has a maximum of seven more rebirths, the once-returner only has one, the non-returner only one rebirth in a heavenly realm, and the arahant has completed their cycle and so has no rebirth. One of the ways that the levels of awakening are tracked is by the absence of the fetters. So I'm going to read the whole list and then I'll go through fetter by fetter, stage by stage and say which fetters get released at which stage and talk a little bit about the fetters. So the 10 fetters are self-identification views, doubt, grasping at rites and rituals, greed, aversion, passion for form, passion for what is formless, conceit, restlessness, and ignorance. One reason that I find this list so comforting is that these qualities are so universal that the Buddha named them and highlighted them in the teachings. Sometimes when things come up in my life, I get stuck in self-judgment or feeling like I'm a bad person When I see them as just the fetters arising, it depersonalizes it, it makes me feel less alone, and helps me to take wise action. Okay, so getting into the list, in order to be considered a stream enterer or a once returner, the first three fetters are absent, self-identification views, doubt, and grasping at rites and rituals. Sakyaditi self-identity view, is the way that we are constantly making sense of the world based on who we think we are, who we think we should be. Jesse Maceo Vega Frey says, the problem is that often we're trying to change ourselves based on ideas we have about the person we think we should be, rather than on an interest of the person we actually are. So that self-identity view is is that idea of who we think we should be rather than the moment-to-moment experience of our lived life. Russell Razik says, our problem is not that we have an ego, but that we believe it is the sum total of who we are. When one is able to let go of the fetter of self-identification view, the person can see the world as a moment-by-moment experience just as it is and not be caught up in the illusion of self. The next fetter, doubt, as you can imagine, is a fetter that needs to go because doubt holds us back from fully letting go, from fully waking up. Whether we're doubting ourselves, the teachings, our teachers, any of that will get in the way of us waking up. There's a need for faith and trust to keep walking into the unknown landscape of liberation, so doubt has to go. Here's a quote from my teacher, Matthew Brensilver. For a long time, we're sort of one foot in, one foot out in a way. And there's a deep skepticism about our capacity to transform our lives. And over time with practice, it's like so much of that deliberation and indecision and self-doubt, it just really dissolves. And it's just the path. And our whole life is the path. But it's just the path. No more questioning No more wondering if this is a useful way of investing our energy or investing our life. There's a real relief that comes when we no longer feel like we have to evaluate what we're doing or how much progress we're making, whether this is our path. There's a kind of confidence like, oh yeah, this is my life and I'm going to be here for it. And so we can feel doubt fade away over time as we practice and it still will arise right? Like it doesn't go away until you're a stream enter. So we can feel this feeling that Matthew's talking about of kind of having both feet in, in the Dharma path, and doubt will still arise, but it doesn't knock us off the path in the way it does maybe in the beginning. The fetter of grasping to rites and rituals is helpful because it reminds us that awakening is not dependent on any outside practices or requirements. Awakening is an internal process, that unfolds over time in any given moment, and doesn't need to look a certain way. For me, during COVID, it's been humbling to see how attached I am to specific ways the retreat container looks at retreat centers. And now, to be sitting online retreats and self-retreat at home, and not having some of those rites and rituals, it's giving me and all of us the opportunity to let go of some of our beliefs about how things should be, and instead help us see how we can connect with our practice, how we can taste freedom without any of that. It's a useful exploration. What are rites and rituals around the dharma or other spiritual practices that you may be attached to? Are there any that feel impossible to let go of? If so, that may be a sign that some grasping is present, and it's useful to see if you can loosen the grip a bit. Many of us find comfort and safety and having a regular meditation routine. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this idea that the practice can't happen without lighting this thing of incense or doing this chanting or whatever. And the reminder with this fetter is that the practice is always present as long as we choose to engage with it. Another reason that I find these fetters so useful is that they're a warning map or a list of red flags, of things to look out for, of things to be aware of. If I know what the roadblocks look like, it's easier to identify and avoid them. In order to be a non-returner, the fetters of sensual desire and aversion need to be lifted. So wanting things and not wanting things does not fully go away until we're one step away from being enlightened. There's always going to be some reaching for and some pushing away. And what's so important to see with both craving and aversion is when it arises in the mind, it does not need to be acted upon. The other night we were at dinner and there were musicians coming around and playing and I did not like the musicians who were playing. I definitely shared my negative views about them to my husband, but I left it there. I didn't act on that. When they came by, I didn't say, oh, I didn't like your music. Um, I gave them the same amount of tip that I had given the last person. I didn't act on my aversion. So if we know that greed and aversion are going to keep arising until we're non-returners, we learn to live with these states of mind and lessen the impact they have on us and those around us. Ruth King says, the more we resist fully allowing agitating thoughts and feelings to arise, the more we suffer. By accepting the greed and the aversion, it can move through us rather than get compounded by our resistance to the reality of it. The final five fetters, called the higher fetters, are said not to be eradicated until one becomes a fully enlightened arahant. So I said I find these fetters helpful because they help universalize my experience, and by knowing them I know what to look out for. And the third reason I find these fetters so helpful is because I know not to expect them to go away anytime soon. If five don't leave until full enlightenment, then I'm not doing something wrong when they arise. I'm not a bad Buddhist. I'm just a human having this experience and expecting them to go away is unrealistic and not useful. So these final five fetters that are released at Arahant There's the pair of passion for form and passion for what is formless. These are both about wishing for specific rebirths, either in the human realm or in the heavenly realm. This is that phenomenon when you're so fixated on a goal that the harder you work for it, the harder it is to attain. If you're craving freedom, you're fixated on the result and missing the freedom that might be available in that moment. So that's why these two, passion for form and passion for what is formless, need to be lifted. The next is conceit, mana, which is the act of any kind of comparison to another, better than, less than, equal to. Sharon Salzberg says Comparison or conceit is a gnawing, painful restlessness. It can never bring us to peace because there is no end to the possibilities for comparison. I can really relate to that. Due to my cultural upbringing, I can carry a lot of shame around my comparing mind giving it a lot of weight and importance. But when I see that mana is something that will be around until full awakening, it loses some of its power. It becomes another red flag, another thing to look out for, but it doesn't define me. The next restlessness also has some cultural messaging in the West that can make us feel like if we're experiencing restlessness, we're doing something wrong. We haven't quote unquote done our work or found our passion or whatever. But restlessness simply arises. Restlessness is also one of the five hindrances, which I've talked about before. And mindfulness is key for recognizing restlessness as it arises and recognizing it for what it is, not a character flaw or identity trait, but just restlessness. Bhikkhu Bodhi notes, mindfulness holds the hindrances in check by helping the mind at the level of what is sensed. So feeling agitation in the body helps us to see the restlessness in the mind which then allows us to make a choice about where we place our attention, what we do with that energy, how we dissipate that energy. The final fetter that is released is ignorance. And this makes sense to me that only until one is fully awake, fully enlightened, will one be free of ignorance, free of confusion, free of what is in the way. We don't know what we don't know. Another quote from Ruth King, We stop being mindful when we think we know, and that's when much harm can happen. Seeing ignorance through an ignorant mind can be difficult, but the more we are committed to knowing that ignorance is present, the more that we know that we don't know, the more able we are to see and work with this fetter. There's a relief in this one for me because when I see I've been ignorant, I can choose to beat myself up or I can choose to remember that ignorance happens even to those who are almost enlightened. So I can cut myself some slack. To sum up, there are 10 fetters, 10 roadblocks to awakening. There are self-identification views, doubt, grasping at rites and rituals, greed, aversion, passion for form, passion for what is formless, Conceit, restlessness, ignorance. And when we see them, see them as fetters that are arising, not personal, we can begin to access some freedom. We know and accept that these fetters are the last things to go before we wake up. So we understand that we'll be living with these fetters. And when they arise, we can see them as opportunities for growth and freedom. Thank you so much for listening. The links are in our show notes. You can find me on Instagram at TowardLight108 and the website is TowardLight.net. If you have any questions or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Be well.